I am beyond excited to announce that I have partnered with Magimix for season eight of Crazy Sexy Food. Magimix is a family-owned business that has the amazing reputation as makers of quality kitchen appliances that are adored by chefs and home cooks alike. I remember growing up and always seeing my mum's beloved Magimix on her countertop and the utter ease of how she used it. With their 30-year motor guarantee, these machines have always been built to last. They continue to be relevant as ever in the busy kitchen and make fantastic food processes that make your food go further and reduce food wastage. They are a godsend when it comes to batch cooking and using up leftovers. I use my Magimix every single day. If you're ready to step into the world of Magimix with a new food processor, blender, ice cream maker or any other bit of kit, then simply pop over to their website and use my exclusive code at checkout for a 15% discount. The code is MAGIMIXCSF. Make it with Magimix. Hi and welcome to Crazy Sexy Food. I'm Hannah Harley-Young. This podcast is all about the love of food and how it plays a part in our lives. I sit down with well-known personalities, food experts, chefs, and people who, well, just love their food to find out all about their life, career, and their favorite tastes along the way. Today, I'm joined by Lorraine Copes the founder of Be Inclusive Hospitality, the non-profit organization set up to advance racial equality in hospitality, food and drink. Launched in 2020, Lorraine's background, working with some of the most well-known restaurant brands, has paved the way for her to really shine the light on the lack of diversity within the industry and make the much needed changes, as well as educate and coach employers on how to better the workings of their companies. Be Inclusive are also the proud founders of the BIH Spotlight Awards, where exceptional talent and achievement from black, Asian and ethnic minorities will be celebrated and recognised. The awards will commemorate the brightest stars of the present and future and will allow the opportunity for the nominees and winners to build their networks, striving for a more inclusive industry. Lorraine, it's such a pleasure to have you on. Welcome to Crazy Sexy Food. to be here. (laughs) Thank you for having me. No, this is so exciting. And I know that a lot of people will be watching this as well as listening to this. So you are one of the the first few that gets to be on camera. So thank you for for being a part. No problem. So I always ask, first and foremost, before we kick off, what did you have for breakfast today? Yeah, sure. I had um, porridge. With blueberries and bananas. Very um, healthy. The grapefruit. Yeah, I'm desperately still trying to shift the, the, the pandemic weight. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, we're all <laughs> suffering. I have a feeling it's just going to be with me for life at this point. Do you think I'm determined <laughs> for it not? So went to the gym this morning as well. Oh, good for you. Yeah. I mean, I did a Pilates class. I was like, it's I need to good. like just get into the zone and be a bit zen yeah. and see how we go. Yeah. And, you know... I mean, it's obviously a very busy time for you. The We are obviously recording before the awards yep. um, are happening. And when this comes out, the awards would have happened. Um, but the nominations are open. And I'd love to know, like, how's it gone this year? Yeah, it's been brilliant, actually. Um, I had the vision um, in 2020 to launch an awards Um because I think it's really important to celebrate 
people from all backgrounds. Um, and I think that the industry has historically had quite a narrow lens on what excellence looks like. And so um, to, to bring the awards to life and to actually see the responses from people who have been nominated has just been just heartwarming and really touching actually. Mm. Um, so, so far, so good. Um, it's all moving forward at pace. We've got a lot of great sponsors, um, amazing judges. Um, so yeah, it's it's all moving in the right direction. I'm no, really excited. I, mean, I really feel like this was a long time coming and yeah. we're gonna get into this yeah. in a bit, but I sort of want to start from the beginning. Yeah, sure. You were born and raised in Birmingham. I was. I want to know what life was like growing up, mm -hmm. who was cooking, mm -hmm. what was on the table, sort mm -hmm. of paint the picture for us. Sure. Um, so growing up in Birmingham, so both my parents are Jamaican. And so in my home was Jamaica and outside was obviously Birmingham. <laughs> and so that gives you context in terms of food. Yeah. Um, every single day of the week, we had Jamaican food apart from Friday. Okay. On Friday, we would walk to the fish and chip shop. <laughs> I love it. And, uh, or we would have a fry up, but that would like be accompanied with like fried dumplings. So and that was usually my dad's day. Um, but yeah, every single day, my mum was a, a machine actually, because she worked full time. My dad worked full time as well, but she used to cook a different dinner every day. Wow. Apart from Sunday, uh, apart from Monday, actually. So Sunday to Monday, we'd have the same dish. But uh, you name it from um, like curry goat to curry chicken, um, a staple which isn't often known as traditionally Jamaican, but um, it, you know, is a real common uh, dish, a corned beef and rice with sweet okay. corn. Um, yeah, so it was, it, was, it was solely Jamaican food actually growing up until, until um, I was probably in my late teens, early 20s and, and my parents started to explore a bit <laughs> in terms of other cuisines. And just out of curiosity, because, you know, I speak to a lot of people yeah. from all different walks of life yeah. and being part Iranian myself. Yeah. When you were a child mm -hmm. and sort of the Jamaican food was in the house, mm -hmm. when your friends came over yeah. or when you were at school and whether you had packed lunches yeah, or, yeah. you know, was, what was the situation there? Like, <laughs> did, did your friends also, were they also from similar backgrounds? Yeah, or? it's interesting, actually. So um, a lot of my friends were also Jamaican. Um, but I remember school trips and my mom would like, um, give us sprats. So, you know, like the fried <laughs> oh fish God, on yeah. a school trip. No <laughs> yes. way. And I used to love it, but I look back in hindsight thinking we had like fried fish in a little like lunch box, um, with like hard owl bread. Like our packed lunches were amazing. <laughs> um but how but, did uh, the other kids respond to that did they ever say you know oh what? what's that i don't recall it and That's and the school i went to was very mixed um from okay. an ethnic perspective i don't recall responses but what i do recall was that about the age of 12 or 13 i had enough of jamaican food and i started having like cheese and crackers for dinner instead <laughs> um I, I kind of rebelled stopped eating yeah. meat um and oh, wow. yeah for, for a number of years too I was just sick of Jamaican food. And now I look back in hindsight and think about all the amazing dishes that I missed. But, um, but that's so yeah. funny. I mean, I feel like you all go through a phase. Like, I mean, I remember when my mum would make, you know, when we cook Iranian yeah. food, it takes like five days yeah, to make yeah, just yeah. one dish. Yeah. And like when I get it at school, you know, you those old school uh, desks that yeah. you sort of lift yes, up yes, and, yes. You, and around lunch, I'd sort of lift it up and yeah. this waft of flavors yeah. that no one had ever experienced yeah. would be like, what is in yeah. your desk, Hannah? Yeah. And actually in hindsight, it was yeah. probably the best lunch out yeah, of the whole class. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. 
That's so funny. And so was your mum the primary cook? She was. She was. Um, she was a primary cook. My dad would cook on rare occasion. And for that reason, when he did cook, it was like Russian roulette. Sometimes it was awful. Okay. And sometimes it was great. Funnily enough, though, sort of 20, 30 years later, my dad's actually the better cook. So they parted ways when I was about 22. Okay. And my dad just like his game he just he 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 leveled up he, he amazing cook now he's better than my mom wow he's phenomenal does your mom know that yeah well i'm very vocal about it. i mean food <laughs> it, it's a really important yeah topic yeah and plays a really important part of our lives mm. and my mom knows it because even though they've separated like we still spend christmas birthdays like oh, we spend a lot nice. of time together as yeah, a family yeah. and so she's well aware i mean i want to talk about jamaican food because yeah. I mean, I've been very lucky to have spent a lot of time in Jamaica. I also grew up in a huge West Indian uh, community in Labrick Grove mm. for the better part of my life. Mm. But I would say, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'd mm. say sort of in terms of West Indian food, it's probably the most well-known, mm. I'd say in London, let's say. Mm. It's sort of most easy to access. Yeah. But I actually recently, um, a couple of years ago, did a show all about the best Caribbean food in London. And it's so fascinating that the different islands have a completely different yeah, cuisine. And, and and people must remember that when you go to somewhere like Trinidad, yeah. you're not necessarily going to be getting Jamaican food. Yeah, of course, and, of course. And so, you know, what do you think sets Jamaican food apart yeah. from, from other other West Indian yeah. cuisines? I think something really important to note there, that there's, there's a reason for there often being an assumption that Jamaican food is all Caribbean food. And it's because obviously with the influx of, um, you know, people from the Windrush generation into the early 80s, Jamaicans were definitely the most dominant island yeah. um, uh, in the UK. And it's just the best, quite simply. <laughs> I mean, I'm a bit biased. That's not biased at um, all. Just a tad, but <laughs> what sets it apart? I mean, I am biased, but having tasted foods from all over the other islands. There are some real similarities, mm -hmm. but Jamaican food for me, and I say this being Jamaican, it just is the best. It is. It, it really is. It's it just, is. Um, yeah, I, I really, when I look back at history and I look at how Jamaican food came to being and mm. the beauty that was born out of a horrific, you know, time, I think it's just magnificent and it speaks speaks volumes about the people within that island and, and what they've ultimately been able to create and not only create, but really hold on to, um, you know, foods, flavors and traditions from West Africa, mm. because there's so many dishes where they're so similar, mm. which no, is no, no. Completely. remarkable, really. No, it is. And I, and, and I guess, you know, a lot of people don't know about that. Mm. Tell me, how hot can you go? I mean, I permanently have a, a bag of scotch bonnet peppers in my That's freezer my um so you know hot sauce was always yeah. always in our house so after recording i'm going to show you my hot sauce collection oh okay. I, have a, I, I um i was actually told by doctors that i had to calm down on my hot sauce consumption really? a few years ago because i was ruining the lining of my stomach what i know i mean i've been known <laughs> to carry hot sauce in my handbag because whenever you sort of used to travel yeah. the world i mean obviously things yeah, are a lot yeah. better these days yeah. but you know at least 10 15 yeah. years ago Hot sauce could get you out of a really bad situation, right? Yeah. When there wasn't much to eat. Yeah, very true. Very true. The right hot sauce can flavor.
flavor make anything tasty no, absolutely right. mm. and then i mean but then my mum gets really irritated when I used mm. to live at home and she'd mm. spend hours cooking and then I'd automatically go for the hot sauce. Yeah. She'd be like, can you just try it yeah. before you douse yeah. it in yeah, a whole yeah, load yeah, of chilli? Yeah. And I, yeah. I do kind of get that now that I cook a lot more. Yeah. So I'm going to fast forward a little bit. Yeah. You left university with a degree in logistics mm -hmm. and that's quite an interesting degree. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've met anybody that's had a degree in that. That's a way of putting it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what did you want to do with that? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> She's still figuring it out. So the reality of the fact is this actually. So at college, I studied psychology and media studies and I excelled in them and I loved them. Prior to that, I did graphics and textiles. Logistics for me was me studying something that's pragmatic, that's going to secure me a stable yeah. job and, and all that jazz yeah. really. Um, there was no foresight there at all. It was pure luck that it led me into the role of procurement, which I absolutely love. Um, but there definitely wasn't any strategic or, you know, any foresight on my part in terms of where logistics might take me. Mm. It was actually as dull as dishwater. <laughs> but, you know, met We're one of really my best friends. We're really selling it there yeah, for the kids. It was, it was just, it was yeah. so dull. But I guess, you know what, sometimes, I mean, I know for me as well, you mm. sort of, at that age where, you know, in this country, I don't know how much the system's changed in terms of education, but you essentially have to kind of decide what route you want to take in your life, like the age of 14. I, I mean, I that's young. It really is. And you know what? That as well as having parents not from this country who yeah. believed that education was a sort of pass to, to, to a better opportunities than they mm. had. Mm. And uh, you put those both in a pot and, and you... you you know, you study something that actually is of no interest at all. Um, but, you know, I've learned how to write a dissertation and, and, and stuff. <laughs> That's so. why um, in Iranian culture, you have a lot of dentists mm. because I think it's seen as like the right yes, thing to do. Of course, of course, <laughs> of course. So sort of again, fast forwarding, um, mm. I mentioned in the intro that you've worked with some incredibly well-known mm. and fantastic companies mm -hmm. such as Shake Shack, mm -hmm. Corbin and King, who for anyone that may not know, sort of own places like the Wolseley mm. um, and Gordon Ramsay restaurants. And I sort of want you to talk to me about the journey of entering this hospitality world mm. and then sort of talking to me about when you first entered, what was going on with diversity at the mm -hmm, time? Mm -hmm. um, and so, so I, my first job actually in hospitality was forecasting and planning analyst, which aligned to my degree. Mm -hmm. And that was for a pub company. And it was in that role, I realized that it was possible to eat and drink for free for a living without being a chef. Why do you think I'm doing this? <laughs> and, uh, you know, something that's, this stuck with me forever. It's just kind of going off on a tangent a bit is um, went to my first food tasting and there was a development chef by the name of Bob Turkin and I turned up so happy to be there, free food. And he said, Lorraine, this isn't a buffet. This is a tasting. And he was not, I can't remember where in North he was from, but he was really Northern yeah. and I was just mortified and that stuck with me forever. However, my takeaway was that I can eat for free and drink for free. And I took a step from supply chain to procurement um, by actually writing to the managing director at Elior Contract Cater at the time. Um, and they created a job for me. And um, so I've basically taken steps forwards and upwards throughout my career for the past 20 years. And how I describe hospitality then is very much how I describe it now. So procurement is a very outward facing role. 
suppliers, events, awards, and also um, sort of in the past sort of 12 years of my career in a boardroom. And all of those spaces all lack people that look like me. You know, in up until the awards I was at on Friday, um, I can count on one hand how many other black people were in the room that weren't serving. And so wow. that is, that's the problem that was there then and it's the problem that's there now. What, so what year are we talking about when you first started identifying? It's 20 years ago. So, so and there's so not you'd say not much change in 20 years. Not a huge. I mean, I don't go to award ceremonies in the industry and think, oh, this is diverse yeah. ever. Yeah. Um, you know, I can very rarely count the number of black people in the room. There's often more Asian, South Asian, Southeast Asian, but um, it's still not representative a of London, b of the industry from a stats perspective, and c from the diversity that actually exists within the sector. Mm. You know. And so I guess what I want to ask is you sort of spend these incredible few years sort of mm -hmm. working, you know, I guess your way up in the yeah, industry yeah. to the point of then setting up Be Inclusive yeah. and talk to me about what it was that you wanted to create. Sure. I mean, aside from the obvious. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess where are we at now? Yeah, it was very much a journey, actually. So pre-2020, when the idea first came to me, I think that the first thing that I really thought about was visibility and lack of visibility. So if you're not on television um, or if you're not in the public eye, then you're invisible, right? And so it started off very simply as an Instagram account. And then the pandemic hit, gave me the opportunity to really flesh out a business plan, get clear on the mission, I decided to go down the route of social enterprise because I wanted a model that was transparent and impact driven. Um, and so um, the journey has been quite fast paced because we launched actually um, the day before George Floyd was murdered. And wow. so um, what time with was that? that, it just meant that within the sector and outside of it, obviously, people were looking for a diversity theme yeah. or something that was representing diversity. And so we were found in the hospitality industry as the only organization that exists um, with, with, with our aim. And so um, timing is everything. Mm -hmm. um, also being within the pandemic, being able to really build a community quickly because everyone was still in at home and really just rekindle a lot of relationships that I've held and had for the past 10 plus years with people in the industry it just meant that we were able to move forward really quickly. And so I guess sort of on like a real like grassroots mm -hmm. like level, yeah. how are you actually going about it? Is it simply sure. just like going to the employers, going to yeah. the owners of certain yeah. restaurants or companies yeah. and just saying, let's have a look at your yeah. structure. Who are you employing? Yeah. Where can you do better? No. No. So, so, <laughs> no, that's what so, I wanted you so, to say. So, uh, I mean, let me tell you. So we've got three kind of pillars on how we deliver our mission. The first and our why is supporting professional development and well-being for people of colour within the industry. Um, and so to date, that has included anything from mentorship schemes, workshops and events and the awards actually sits mm -hmm. under that pillar. The second, a bit similar to what you described, we are a diversity and inclusion consultancy. So as opposed to us going to businesses and saying, you know, where are you? Businesses often actually find us and reach out and say, actually, we want to accelerate change. 
We want some educational workshops. We want advice. We want soundboarding. We want consultancy and we work with them in that respect. Mm. And then third and finally, we are, um, we work with brands. So a lot of brands that want to advance change will have a pot of money and we help them to create a strategy, create um, the, the program itself and often de- deliver it on their behalf. And underpinning all three of those pillars is research and insight. So just by nature of what I've done for a living, very commercial. Uh, I think that numbers can paint a picture. And so um, for the past two years, we have run a survey, industry-wide survey, which actually gives some insight in terms of the status quo around diversity and inclusion, uh, racism in the industry, career progression, and perceptions of careers within hospitality. And we basically use data to inform action. Do you have any just stats on the top of your head? Yeah, sure. So the first piece of um, the per- first piece of research conducted was um, on our behalf by a business called the Resolution Foundation, and this was just pre-pandemic, so it would have changed somewhat mm. now. But they confirmed at the time that seventeen point eight three percent of the sector identifies Black, Asian, or ethnic minority. So we know that there's overrepresentation. Um, versus the UK wide stats. So that's the first thing. They were able to identify as well disparities in pay dependent mm. on the ethnicity and race. Now, our own surveys identified that one in five of respondents have had any education or um, learning around race and ethnicity. And that's the first thing. The second thing is um, 39% was the highest. It was between 38 and 39% of black and Asian people within the industry have experienced racism within the workplace, experienced or witnessed racism within the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, whilst there is general really positive perception about hospitality as an industry, there is a disparity between support received Mm. and by support, I mean access to qualifications, Mm. access to development. Mm. And that was seen at all career levels for respondents within the survey. So there's some key highlights. Some really like quite serious figures there as well. It is concerning. And I I guess sort of moving forward for Mm. anyone that might be listening who is an employer or sort of owns a company or anything within the hospitality, is there any sort of like quite sort of I'm talking quite surface level here because they would need to obviously come and speak to you and employ you and get you involved um you know what changes could we make on sort of a simple level yeah I'd say on a a really simple level I think it's really important for employers to ensure that there is a zero tolerance um approach to racism and discrimination in the workplace that's the first thing because what we found again through the report is Despite your background, you are more likely to report an incident of racism to a peer than you are to senior management and HR. And there's a reason for that. And it's often around inaction. And when it's being reported, nothing is happening, basically. So that's one thing. The second thing I'd say is it's all about company culture. And until Mm. you understand your culture, it's really difficult to decide what to change. Mm. And so it's really important for employers to understand their culture and being able to segment that data by different demographics, whether that's gender, whether that's race. Um, That's a really important starting point for any business. And I mean, I obviously sort of, I get sort of the USP of of what you're trying to do, but 
do you sort of expand and, and there's no wrong answer here mm -hmm. um but do you expand into also talking about inclusivity whether it be about gender whether mm -hmm. it be about disability mm -hmm. whether it be about i mean i know obviously we're dealing with primarily race here yeah, and are. and and people of color yeah but i wondered if if that is still very important yeah. as well you know yeah it's it's very important but i firmly believe in now that there are specialists in those respective yeah. fields and um and my focus is 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 race yeah, yeah. no and I, and i completely get yeah. that and i think i think actually what you touched on is absolutely right that people sort of work towards your sort of strong points so to speak you know that's what you're passionate about and we clearly can tell from those stats that yeah, things do need to change absolutely i wondered what were the biggest challenges when setting up um, there weren't, I mean, it was mid pandemic, so yeah. it wasn't ideal yeah. in terms of timing in some ways. Um, the only challenge that I think any business startup faces all around resource mm -hmm. and around being able to grow with limited resources and, um, ensure that you can scale while still remaining profitable and all those good things. So that's something that we're still finding the balance on, um, but beyond that, it's been um, it's been not challenge free, but um, yeah. it's it's been super positive. Amazing, and 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 so it should be. Mm -hmm. So I mentioned that we you, we like I've created the awards. <laughs> sure, okay. Um, that you have created this fantastic awards, which mm -hmm. is the BIH awards, um, and we are. I would say that the awards have happened mm -hmm. um, whilst people are listening to this. So talk to me about the awards. Why yeah. did you also want to set up the awards? Yeah. I mean, you know, hats off to you yeah. again. Thank you. You know, it should have happened a long time ago, yeah. but at least someone's doing yeah. it. Yeah. Um, you know, talk to me about that. Yeah. I mean, long overdue. I've worked in the hospitality industry and been obsessed with food for, you know, my entire life. And to never see an award that recognizes food from my heritage mm. is just mad to me. Um, just, just absolutely crazy yeah. especially because being from Birmingham and um having you know moved to London 10 years ago eat my way around London and continue to and stumbling across loads of phenomenal restaurants talented individuals that are not visible mm -hmm. quite simply mm -hmm. and so um visibility is super important representation is really important we know that there are phenomenal businesses that exist and this is really about bringing them to the fore and celebrating and recognizing them. And it's not just about a party really, it's about visibility matters within the space of food and, and most industries, hospitality included. And the hope is that it will have an impact for them, their careers and visibility will support their um, you know, upward trajectory um, within whichever fields that they are within. I was gonna say, I mean, you know, being recognised for something, it, it, it can get Absolutely. you onto the most amazing trajectory. It really can. And, um, you know, for those places or those people that no one would have ever heard exactly. about. Exactly. You know, and this so is absolutely what we need. So I guess my sort of, before we leave BIH or sorry, mm -hmm. BI, um, Be Inclusive mm -hmm. um, and the hospitality world, mm -hmm. what do you think the future holds for inclusivity yeah. in hospitality? Yeah, I think that's, that's a great question. And I think that um, it really does lie in the hands of the majority and that the majority are often white males within the industry. So I'm forever an optimist. Um, and 
you know, in the short time that we have um, been established, we've been moving forward in the right direction. But um, I don't see being within my hands as a, as a woman and a black woman within the industry. Our, my business is here to advance change, mm. but it heavily relies on allies and the majority to, to kind of pull their weight in driving change too, right? So 100%, yeah. I, I completely agree with you. So I want to take it sort of back to you personally. Mm-hmm. What's your relationship with food like? Um, it's definitely one of the loves of my life. I love food. <laughs> I love food and drink now, to be fair. But yeah, that's food. okay. Yeah. I mean, everything in moderation, yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, and sort of, you know, what does an average day look like for you? It seems like you're quite healthy. You know, you started Fairly. off with your porridge and your blueberries. Yeah. Um, does it kind of continue that way or does it so, have a few twists so and turns? It, it requires balance. So, yeah. um, I exercise regularly and I am super disciplined and eat really healthily because I eat out a lot for work. Um, yeah, for work. And, um, so a typical day I always plan food. So I'm often thinking about what I'm eating next. Yeah. Um, but, um, because I'm out and about quite a lot, it, yeah, yeah. It, it can be quite tough yeah. and challenging. But, I mean, God, we yeah. really have those first world problems. You and I, I'm exactly the same. Yeah, I mean, I sometimes, I don't know about you, but I, if I know that where I'm going, mm. like out for dinner or I've got a meeting or whatever, I'll usually look at the menu online yeah. so I can kind of get an idea yeah. of what I might have. Yeah. And then that might influence the breakfast that yeah, day. Yeah, sure. Right? Yeah, so yeah, just yeah. so that... It's balance, right? Yeah. It's like, the only way. I, I think, know. especially as we get older where there was a period where I could just eat and drink what I wanted and yeah. I could out exercise the food <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore no. so if I am going to be indulging in the evening then yeah. I'll find balance in the day just so no. that it nets out <laughs> totally the in same. A, in a, and in a do you place. cook a lot at home I do I do I love to entertain actually um love food obviously I love eating food and that's why I cook um but um Something that my younger brother had said to me a while ago, he said, you know, when our mom passes away, you know, you'll be the matriarch of the family and you need to be able to cook all the food that she can cook. No pressure. <laughs> I know. And then at one point he started turning up every Sunday to make sure I was moving oh in the right gosh. direction. It's terrible. <laughs> Lovely boy, but it's and, terrible. And yeah. what are your specialities at home? Are you cooking a lot of Jamaican food at home? So not that often just because okay. of the length of time yeah. to, to to prepare and cook but i'd say that's definitely my speciality but mm-hmm. i can cook anything to be honest i've been working with chefs for years and so i picked up things here and there say, and i've eaten out gro- tons you've probably had so some great tips along the years i have i've eaten some amazing oh, food i bet you and have. so yeah no i'm a competent cook and is there any food you dislike so I also eat absolutely everything. So I'm not keen on sprouts, but I would eat them. Okay. Like I eat them at Christmas. Okay. But there's nothing I feel I like don't it's eat. like blasphemy not to have a Brussels sprout at Christmas. Yeah. I mean, there's also a certain way of making sprouts. Yeah. You don't want to overcook them yeah. so they're like stodgy, like a yeah. stodgy mess. I just, I've, I've tasted them cooked in many of ways. And it's, the funny thing is, is I love cabbage and I know they're only That's mini cabbages, but oh, I just, I don't love them, but I'll eat okay, them. Fine. Like I'm not a fussy eater, yeah, 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 I can't yeah. eat that. Okay. Yeah, just, That's pretty yeah. good. And what three items are always in your fridge? Um, so mushrooms. Okay. Chestnut mushrooms, um, piccolo, tomatoes. Yeah. On the vine and garlic butter. Oh, okay. 
interesting so garlic butter is that something you've made or you're buying in no gar- i buy it I'll okay buy <laughs> yeah. Oh, <my> <laughs> yeah i'm not not making that from no, scratch no, no. there's a little short cost here yeah. or there because then you can just like i love garlic mushrooms you can just Got quickly you. Yeah. do it easy, easy. Dull, you yeah know, and when you are out and about and this is going to be a big question for you but where are some of your favorite restaurants Oh, yeah, I've got tons, 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 tons. So Chisaru being oh, one. Yes, I'm going there soon, oh, actually, yeah. for the first time. I'm so oh, excited. Really? Yes. Amazing food. Yeah. I've been there like 10 times, Okay, maybe. amazing. Um, Tatale in the Africa Centre. Oh, yes, I've heard Akazi, about that, yeah. Ghanaian. Um, Akoko, Burnish yep. Street. You've seen the theme. Uh, Bobila, have you tasted Bobila? Okay. I've eaten there about I five times. I cannot believe I still haven't been. I know, I know. I'm. I am going. I'm going. No. I, yeah. yeah. I've heard it's Helen, absolutely incredible. Uh, it's the head chef. Yeah. She's an amazing woman. Um. But again, another restaurant I've eaten there maybe four or five times. Okay. Yeah. No, I've heard very months. very good things for a vegetarian yeah. restaurant. It's with inc- non-meat substitutes, yeah. just all vegetables. Yeah. It's phenomenal. And it's sort of, it's quite Middle Eastern. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, no, it is. I know. I am going to go. I promise. Amazing. And are you a starter or dessert, dessert. person? Dessert, definitely. Okay. So yeah. what dessert would you be going for? Um, anything that has, doesn't have fruit in it, because for me, a dessert doesn't have fruit. <laughs> <laughs> it's meant to be the naughty part of your Absolutely. meal, Absolutely. Right? Yeah, no, no, I, mean, I agree. I, if, if there's anything here? ever chocolate, that's me, like yeah. chocolate fondant. Yes. Chocolate. Oh, yes, yeah, you me know too. I mean? That is like... Yes. Sex on a plate. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay. I always finish with quick fire questions, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. most of my previous guests have said that are not quick fire okay. at all, but we're going to keep calling them the quick okay. fire questions. What is the craziest food you've ever eaten? So I'd say zebra, but I would say what? crazy is subjective, right? Depending on who you're talking to, what zebra? country you're in. Yeah. Yeah. In what? In London. What? <laughs> at um, Shaka Zulu. <laughs> what? Yeah. Zebra? Yes. Do you know what? I've had some crazy answers in my lifetime. What does that taste like? Um... Is it like, I assume it's a bit like horse meat, which I'm assuming we've all probably tried at some point. Well, (laughs) to be fair, it wasn't that memorable. I mean, the fact that I can't really remember, I think speaks... Wow. Yeah, it didn't really stand out to me in a big way. This was years ago, maybe five, six years ago. Fascinating. I think you might have won the medal for that one. (laughs) Okay. But I agree with you. Crazy Mm. is very subjective because, you know, also, especially from different cultures, you know, like I could give you something from Iranian cuisine and you'd be like, what the hell is that? So I totally get that. What has been your most memorable meal? Um, You know what? Every year I look forward to Christmas dinner and year on year, it's just brilliant. I mean, my idea of heaven is having loads of different types of food and having a little bit of everything. And we have so much, just so many different, we have like a combination of like, I suppose, English Christmas dinner and Jamaican. So there's just such a broad array of different types of food and I look forward to it every year. I love it. And is it just sort of like your standard Jamaican food or is it Jamaican Christmas food so no just standard so we'll okay, have like great. turkey we'll have mutton we'll have mac cheese we'll have rice and peas oh we'll have gosh. roast potatoes we'll have like sprouts we'll, I'm like coming to yours for listen <laughs> it's just yeah, it's a spread and it's delicious <laughs> um it. my favorite snack of all time is a pack of crisps yeah. and i don't know if you've noticed but there is i did a very yes. special i did they're covered because they are just so special right. um what is your favorite flavor of crisps and why so 
in, a, in contrast, I don't eat crisps at all, apart from one flavour. Oh, Sweet okay. chilli sensations. Okay. I'm obsessed with them. So. It's the only crisps I eat, like, at all. I have a love-hate relationship with them. Yeah. Um, Because I love spice. So, yeah, yeah. I need them. Yeah. I either need something spicier yeah. or I just want, like, a... Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I get it. I think mm. they're also a crowd pleaser, mm. which is good. Like, love if them. you don't know who's coming over to the house and you want to put something out, I think they're a great crisp to put out because no one dislikes yeah, them, right? Yeah, yeah. I tell you what else I will give them as well. Mm. They got a good crunch. Yeah. Because they're a little crunchier good. than, like, the other Walker's crisps. Yeah, they are. I get really they into this. Are. I could become, like, a crisp analyst. <laughs> What food sums up happiness for you? Um, curry, curried mutton. Yeah. Curried mutton. Oh, and rice and peas. Yeah. It's, it's got to be. just heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Final question. Live to eat or eat to live? I'll definitely live to eat. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, you wouldn't probably be doing what you're doing right now had it not been for that. Be. Lorraine, thank you so much for joining no me. Problem. And I just think that what you are doing is mm -hmm. incredibly inspiring. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad someone is finally starting to make some serious change in thank this industry. You. And I am so excited to see what the future holds. Thank you. And hopefully some big major changes. Thank you. Thanks thank for you having so me. Thank you so much. Thank no you. Problem. Until next time. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening. If you love what you hear, please subscribe and review. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Crazy Sexy Food and check out the Crazy Sexy Food YouTube channel. Until next time, bye.